Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to thank you for something and make you aware of something. First, thank you. Our sermon podcast had almost 15,000 listens in the last year. You listened to the sermons I preached this year from France, Spain, the Netherlands, Malaysia, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, Mongolia, Ukraine, and others. You listened from all over the United States. And if you include older sermons that have gained traction, then you listened from over 50 countries. And this is all just through the podcast. It doesn't include our website, YouTube, or live streaming, which was a big part of what we did last year. I'm amazed at how far my sermons reach, but what amazes me even more is thinking about the people that these numbers represent. I really do marvel at the idea of someone in a country, maybe with little access to biblical preaching, listening to my sermon and it being used by God to change their life. That's amazing. Here's how there can be more lives impacted this year. If you leave a rating and review on whatever podcast site you listen on. I know, I know that that just seems so simple, but it really is how podcasts determine what gets heard. One of my most listened to sermons is on in-laws. It seems that people all over the world are looking for answers on how to deal with their in-laws. And man, I really want people to find those answers through biblical preaching rather than all of the other things that might come up when they search. And so please, 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 please leave us a rating and review if you find these sermons and this podcast helpful. Okay, one more thing. You may have heard me mention this on a prior sermon, but our website recently received an update to its sermon page. We've categorized many of our sermons, and now you can just click a category and see all the series that we've done in those categories. We're going to be adding more categories in the future, but for now, if you're interested in exploring, head over to wilsonville.church slash sermons. One example is that there's a category called Jesus Sermons. If you were to click on that, you'd be taken to like 30 different sermon series on the works, words, and nature of Jesus. If you want to know Jesus better and, and learn to know Jesus better while you're driving to work, for example... I think it could be really helpful to head on to our head over to our sermons page. So to summarize, I appreciate you listening. Please leave a rating and review and check out our new sermons page. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. And as always, I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, I, I had this this kind of vision once and... Um, vision's probably overstated. It's it's just the most clear time that God's ever spoken to me in my entire life. And <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and and so it, it happened the day after I I had this this time of prayer. Uh, and I, and a lot of you have heard about it before. But I was praying. I was in the upstairs. We we used to own a house that was built in I think 1947. And so it kind of had like that that like finished kind of attic kind of deal where you walk up these staircase that felt like nobody should ever have to walk up because you were going to fall down it. So I was up there by myself and I was praying and, and, and 
the prayer time was, you know, I, I wish I could say this was every time I pray, it's like God's right next to me, but it was such a powerful experience, and I've, I've told you this part, you know, more than once, but I really thought, I was, I was flat on my face praying like this, and I thought when I looked up, I was actually going to see Jesus, and I looked up, I didn't see Jesus, but I thought I was going to, it was, God's presence was so powerful, and the next day, I was out praying near a field here in Wilsonville, and uh, and I, I'm praying just normal prayer. It wasn't like that same kind of crazy experience, just normal prayers. And all of a sudden, like God spoke to me through this field. I know this is familiar to some of you. And, and it's like, you know, I don't know how. Like when you talk about God talking to you, there was no voice. I don't really know how God was talking to me. I just knew that he was talking to me. Uh, and, and I'm looking out this field. And it's like God said to me, I think he did say to me, this is such a, this is such a perfect picture of, of the American church. And, and what it was, this field, it was, it was just like a lot of grass, like weeds, really. It was like a lot of weeds that kind of looked a little bit like wheat. And there's this parable in the Bible that I think God really gave me a, an actual, you know, an actual visual for this parable. And, and this parable is the parable of the weed, the weeds and the wheat. And it's the story Jesus tells about how this gardener, he plants all this great wheat. And at night, his enemy comes in and he, he plants all of these weed seeds, these weed seeds. And, uh, and, and, and then, you know, he has a decision to make, right? Like, is he going to pull it all up and tear it all down? Or is he going to let it all grow together? Uh, and, and what Jesus says is, it's all going to kind of grow up together. And, and the picture that it gives us is that, that the church, the church, and I use that term universally, not just like our church, is, is always going to be filled with, with both Christians and, and then, you know, non-Christians, and then people who look like Christians and may even call themselves Christians that aren't necessarily Christians. And, and I feel as though God has given me, for whatever reason, not the calling I would have asked for, but the calling to make sure that I always preach in such a way that I, that I tell people uh, that just because you say you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're actually a Christian. And if there's any passage of Scripture in all of the Bible, maybe, that, uh, that would be important to this divine calling on my life, uh, I think it would be the one that we are going to look at today. We've been moving, for those of you that don't know, to through the Sermon on the Mount, the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. So a few years ago, I started with the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and preached through that. And then the next year, I preached Matthew chapter 6, which is kind of the middle third of the Sermon on the Mount. And then, and then you know, we didn't do it for a year. Now we're back. I'm finishing it. And this is Jesus' longest recorded sermon in the Bible. And, and he said so many just amazing things. And, and we'll talk about some of those as I finish today. And, and we're on the last two kind of teachings of Jesus in his longest recorded sermon. Like this is the conclusion. He's, he's wrapping it up and he's making really calls to action for all the people we're listening. And I said a couple of weeks ago, as he moves into this conclusion, that it's unique in that most of this sermon was aimed at, at you know, his disciples, his friends, the people who are already hooked. They're in. They're following Jesus. They've given up their lives to follow him. But now he's like turning his attention to the other groups that are there. And the other groups are, are just the crowd. You know, they looking for a free meal. They've heard cool things about Jesus. They're interested. And so he's talking to them now, but he's also in some ways talking to the religious leaders who hate him. And he's making some things clear to all three groups. It's like he's gone from, here's how you live as my disciple to like, here's what all of you need to know about your decision on whether or not you're going 
to be my disciple. And here's what Jesus says as, as he's in the midst of this conclusion in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In some ways, what Jesus says there is not everybody who says they're a Christian is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And in fact, he says something I think a little bit stronger. We'll come back to that in a minute. It's, a, it's still amazing to me, you know, the, the numbers of people who claim to be Christians in the United States uh, are shrinking, but it's still 65% of Americans profess Christianity as their religion on the census, right? Like you pick a bubble, 65% of people call themselves Christians. And what's, what's interesting about that is not the shrinking number to me, but that like just the people I know, it feels like a lot less of a percentage. I know people who I, I would guess marked the, the Christian bubble, but seem to hate everything about Christianity uh, as it's written in the Bible. And, and I think that Jesus' words here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, not everyone who says that they are a Christian, who professes Christianity, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I think they are as relevant today as they were for that first century audience where you had this weird mix of people that represent all of us in some ways. Those who, who love and serve Jesus, those who uh, are kind of interested in Jesus, and those who hate Jesus, what he says is really important for all of us. What Jesus is getting at, last week we talked about this, he said there are false prophets who are gonna come into the Christian community and they're gonna proclaim, profess, to be saying the words of Jesus, to be giving God's perspective on things and you need to be on the lookout for them. But now he turns to the crowd. Some of the teachers there that hated him were part of that group, right? But now he turns to everybody and he's like, and you know what else? Just like there's going to be pseudo-prophets, there's going to be pseudo-Christians. There's going to be people who profess to be my followers that aren't actually my followers. Now, pause right there. Think about this for a second. Belief and profession are really and are really important to being a Christian. Um, th these are parts of, of being a Christian. In fact, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Confession, profession, this is an important part of, of Christianity. When we baptize people, what we believe is happening in that moment is that these people who are choosing to get baptized are making a public profession of their faith, and we make a big, big deal about baptism. And what's interesting here is, is, is Jesus you know, says this thing. He says, Lord, Lord, and it's, an, it's a really good confession in some ways. Like, think about all of this. Lord is really polite. If nothing else, it's polite. It was a term for, you know, somebody that you respected. But, but as you follow kind of in the book of Matthew, there's this progression with the usage of the word where it moves from being a polite thing to say, like sir, into something that reveals a lot more about Jesus. And as a reader of the book of Matthew, you know, if you've read it through once before, then you can't help but see that eventually this is going to become something very important about who Jesus is, the character and the nature, the, the person of Jesus. And so in that way, it's orthodox to call Jesus Lord. It's, it's right, according to all of us who are Christians, to declare Jesus as Lord as part of our faith. Lord implies Jesus Deity. That's a way that it is used as it's moved, as Matthew uses this term throughout this, this book that he writes called 
Matthew. Uh, Jesus uses the term, in fact, to increasingly reveal his identity as, as God in human flesh to the people in the book of Matthew. This makes it a really hard confession to make. Lots of people can say that they think Jesus is a good teacher. Lots of people now would say that Jesus was a great man, an important figure. But to say Jesus is Lord, that's a, that's a harder profession to make, whether in the first century or the 21st century. Lord is enthusiastic. Notice the repetition, Lord, Lord. It's not like, eh, Jesus is my Lord. It's like this person that, you know, this hypothetical, like they're in. Jesus is Lord. And it even seems to be a public profession, which is a big deal. I mean, think about walking into your office place and declaring emphatically that you believe Jesus to not just be a nice guy who had a good influence on the world, but to actually be Lord. But here Jesus comes along and says this, This isn't enough. And the question becomes, why? Why is this not enough? And we're going to answer that in a second. But before we do, Jesus, uh, in another place, uh, in Luke chapter 13, he says something very similar. He says it in just a slightly different way. And I think it's important to, to have this in our minds too. He says, then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers, which you'll hear uh, repeated in what we're going to read in just a minute. And, and so here's what you see. Not only does declaration of Jesus as Lord not good enough to make sure that you get into the kingdom of heaven, being around Jesus is apparently not enough to be you know, guaranteed of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. I would say it like this. Calling yourself a Christian and being a part of a church is not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Calling yourself a Christian and being around Jesus and around Jesus' people and knowing his teaching is not enough to get you into the kingdom of heaven according to Jesus. Why? It's a big question. And then what, what do you actually you know, what do you actually have to do? Because those seems like pretty big things. That's what Christians make such a big deal about, right? Like you gotta say and believe these right things and then you gotta make sure you show up on Sundays. Like this is what Christians talk about the most, right? If you ever met a Christian and you're not one, you're like, yeah, they just tried to get me to go to church with them, right? Like that's what we do. And so why is this not enough? And then, and then more, what would I actually have to do to guarantee my place in heaven? And here's how Jesus describes it. He says, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The answer to why professing is not enough to enter the kingdom of heaven is seen in the next verse. But uh, first, let me, let me say, let me quote from the message of the Sermon on the Mount, which by the way, if you're a Bible studying person that's interested in the Sermon on the Mount, I think this is like the greatest commentary. It's so simple. It's really well done. It's deep, but not super academic in nature. The message of the Sermon on the Mount says, their profession was verbal, not moral. The reality is that your place in heaven is secured not by what you say or even by just what you believe, but, it, but it's by becoming a true follower of Jesus. And where we get it wrong sometimes is that we think being a true follower of Jesus just means that we confess something and we you know, go to church and um, we believe these things mentally, but that's not, 
That is not the declaration of Scripture. The declaration of Scripture is that to be a true follower of Jesus means that you follow Jesus. Like you do what Jesus wants. You, you try to live your life for Jesus. You're willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus. Not only do you live for him, but you'll die for him if that's what it takes to continue to follow him. I think that the American church has just, has just gotten this so wrong. And our, our desire to never look like we think you can work your way into heaven, which you cannot, we'll come back to that. And our desire to make sure that we know everybody believes that you can only be saved by grace. Sometimes we make it sound like you can be saved without actually following Jesus. But there is no biblical merit for that. Jesus is like, hey, you can confess the perfect way. Lord, Lord, it's enthusiastic, it's polite, it recognizes my deity and still not get into the kingdom of heaven. What it takes is to actually become my follower, which means you're gonna do what God wants you to do, even if it costs you everything. I mean, we believe, we confess, these are good things, these are important things, and we give ourselves entirely to him. I mean, Paul, as he writes, you know, much of the New Testament, he describes this, this relationship in such drastic terms. You go from, we saw this as we studied through the book of Romans, you go from being in Adam to in Christ, right? It's a whole brand new identity that you should take on as a Christian because everything that you are and everything that you aim for and everything that you do is because of and for the Jesus that you have come to believe in and confess as your Lord. I mean, last week we saw that uh, Jesus said that false prophets can be recognized by their fruit. I said that was the essential life. I took that from somebody else. And now Jesus is telling us that that's true for all Christians. We recognize the truth of our Christianity by our essential life, our fruit. How we live is what shows us whether or not we are Christians. And it's not like if I'm better than that person or worse or you know if I've done enough good things. It's simply have I given myself to Jesus and the things that he has called me to. Now listen, it's really important. I mean, I, I just because I'm a Protestant Christian, you know, I need to make this so clear. This isn't to say that we earn a relationship with God by doing things. Jesus is not saying that. That would contradict so much of Scripture. Instead, what Jesus is making emphatically clear to us is that when we have, have come into a relationship with God by His grace, not because of anything we've done, when we come into a relationship with God, it is going to follow. When we have truly entered in a relationship with God, it's going to follow that we then submit ourselves in obedience to Him and what He would have for us. Now if you think, well, that doesn't sound like anything else in Scripture. I mean, think of James 2 and 14 and 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. As a Protestant Christian, that's like the verse that everybody, you know this, right? Like that's the one we wish wasn't there because it's, it's kind of annoying. We, we, we hold the banner high that we are saved by grace through faith alone. And that is absolutely true. I would die for that belief. But what James and Jesus make so clear to us is that if we have truly come to place our faith in Jesus in a way that is salvific, that will result in us getting into heaven, then there is no wiggle room 
we will follow Jesus. We will be obedient to Jesus. Sometimes we'll mess up, we'll sin, we'll do stupid things. There's no perfection in this room, I guarantee it. I know you all well enough. But, but we will live a life that reflects the faith that we have come to. I mean, as Christians, I mean, the story we believe is, is so simple, right? Like, we're sinners, and, and God, he could have just condemned us all to hell. He would have had every right to do that as our creator and maker, but instead he said, you know what? I want to save those people. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He never did anything morally wrong. And at the end of that life, he died for our sins. Think about that. He died for our sins. And, and then he came back to life. And then what we have through scripture, what Jesus and, and his apostles have declared to us is all you have to do is place your faith in him. But there's this incredible trade-off. It's like, if I want that new life, I have to give you my life. That's the reality of scripture. What we sometimes want to say is like, if you, you know this, if you'll just pray this prayer, then you get into heaven. I feel like I grew up with that language. Like if you just say the sinner's prayer, you get into heaven. And Jesus, I think, would come along and say, what? No, 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 no. Like that sinner's prayer is amazing and I hope you believe all those things. But at the end of that prayer, you better be saying, I commit myself to you because I recognize the incredible grace that you have bestowed upon me. And so I will give you my life for a brand new life that will last for eternity and will be perfect. It will be perfect. It will be heavenly. It will be in heaven. I mean, Jesus, you know, in Luke 6, 46, notice it again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We cannot work our way into heaven. We cannot work our way into heaven. But if there is no works that suggest you're living for Jesus, if your life is not lived for the glory of Jesus, your Savior, then, then I... <laughs> Because of Jesus, not because I don't like you or anything, like I want you to ask yourself, are, am I, am I actually a Jesus follower? Can I look forward to an eternity in heaven with him? I mean, he's already said, you saw this, that the way is narrow, right? And we come along and we're like, stretch it out, stretch it out. We'll make this way way wide. You just got to pray a prayer at VBS when you're four years old. That's all it means to be a Christian. We can put you in our numbers. We'll call it a day. We'll, we'll just be happy that when you die someday, you'll go to heaven. And, and there, is, there is no room for that in the authority of the scriptures. Like a Christian is somebody who follows Christ, who lives their life for Christ. The highest sign of authenticity is not public proclamation, but private devotion. And we get that backwards. We say, as long as I say it and I go to the right places and I kind of have the right morals, I don't get drunk like people, you know, I, I, I you know, as long as I, I kind of live like, you know, like publicly, it's good. Like, that's what it means to be a Christian. But Jesus, like, you need to be privately 100% committed to me. Not saying we'll get 100% of the time do the right things, but 100% committed to me. And listen to this. Like, if you're like, I don't believe Chad. He's becoming a Catholic in front of our eyes. I mean, listen to Matthew 7, through 23. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evil doers. On that day is a reference to the final judgment. It's a big deal in scripture. It's eschatological. It's about the end. And, and we get this picture in the Bible where Jesus will return at a time we don't know. He will return like a flash of lightning and he will come and he will judge the world. 
And the way he describes it in one place is that he'll put the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. The sheep are representative of his followers. The goats are representative of those who have rejected him. You can read that in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And here in our passage, it's like these people are sitting before the judgment seat of Christ. And they're coming up and they're expecting a positive affirmation. You get to be a sheep. You're in, you know. And Jesus does not give them that answer. He declares some of the scariest words that have ever been uttered in human history. I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus here, he even takes it a step further, right? He's like, it's not about your profession of faith and it's not even about how great you look to the outside world. It's about your inner devotion to me because you recognize who I am and what I have done for you. I mean, listen to Acts 19, 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Literally, in the first century, people are out there driving out demons in the name of Jesus, and they don't know Jesus. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They're not Jesus followers, and they're like, there's some power in this, Right? I feel like, man, so much of American Christianity, and this is what bothers a lot of non-Christians in our country today, they see power in the name of Jesus. And I don't mean power like we would sing it, right? Like there's healing and miracles. I mean power like I can garner some power, some influence, and use Jesus to do it. And I think this warning is for people like that. What's interesting to me here is that like Jesus you know, he, he says this thing like, he's like, saying you're my follower isn't good enough. You must actually follow me by doing good's will. And then he's like, but don't think that like doing a bunch of awesome stuff in my name is good enough either. Like it's about true commitment to me because you believe that I am the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Seeking the kingdom, another commentary on on. The Sermon on the Mount says, this scene underscores for us that neither confession of Jesus as Lord nor deeds accompanying such a confession in and of themselves constitute entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You have to enter in through the narrow gate. You can't run around looking like a Christian. You can't just say you're a Christian. You must actually, if I could, be a Christian, be a Christ follower. Now, I don't want to chuck any of the grace stuff, and, I, and maybe I said it enough, but I want to say it again, like, this isn't to say, like, you can just be a, get in the he- kingdom of heaven by not believing that Jesus is the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. It's not saying that public profession of your faith and even quiet profession of your faith is unimportant or not part of the deal. I already read to you Romans 10. They are. But Jesus is saying, if those things are real, then, then you will serve me and you will know me. I mean, we have a problem in American Christianity because, because like 99% of everybody's spiritual lives is what you see, right? And it should be the opposite. 99% of our spiritual lives, our relationship to Christ should be the things that people can't see. And then they see us at church and, you know, they see the ministries that we're involved in. But like, 
should be like an iceberg, right? Like everything should be underneath. We should be quietly devoted to Christ. And then that's going to spill out into the world to mix metaphors. Like that'll spill over into what people can see and what we do. And it, you know, may look like some of these things, you know, we may be going around serving people in a powerful and impactful way. But but it starts with a true internal commitment to the one who you believe came to save you. You need to enter through the narrow gate. In the Old Testament, for God to know people was to was really to declare them as his chosen people. You can see it in Jeremiah 1.5, Hosea 13.5, Amos 3.2, for example. And, and the New Testament just continues this theme, Galatians 4.8 and 9, 2 Timothy 1.9. Uh, and then there's this other verse in Matthew that I think demonstrates the importance of it, perhaps most, or at least most for us this morning. In Matthew 12.50, Jesus says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I see, like, I never knew you. You're my family. These are, these are kind of the choices that Jesus lays out before us. And the way that we can know we're part of the family of God is we believe that Jesus came, he died for your, my sins, he came back to life. We confess that to him publicly. We confess that. But then we see it in the fact that we are doing the will of Jesus, Father in heaven. We are doing the will of God. We are trying to serve God with our entire lives. We are being obedient to the scriptures. We're being obedient to what he's called us to, even when it is hard. I said earlier that the highest sign of authenticity of our faith is not public proclamation, but private devotion. And I would say it this way. The highest sign of authenticity is not public work, but private worship. I think we must hold both of these things as true. The highest sign of the authenticity of our faith is not public proclamation, but private devotion. And likewise, the, the highest sign of authenticity is not public work, but private worship. Man, I think we have that backwards sometimes. We think Christianity is just this, this lifestyle almost. When it's this private devotion to do what God wants us to do because we have seen the incredible grace that he has offered us, a grace that gets us into heaven apart from our works. Craig Blomberg says, uh, charismatic activity has a tendency to substitute enthusiasm and the spectacular for more unglamorous obedience in the midst of suffering. Isn't that, like, don't you see that? Not just in the charismatic world, but in our, our lives, we like, we like to serve Jesus when it's fun. We like to serve Jesus when people can see it. We like to serve Jesus when it's noticeable. But Jesus says, my true followers will serve me and know me, and maybe nobody will ever see it. C.E. Colton says, crying out, Lord, Lord, will avail nothing if there, this is key, if there is not genuine experience of faith in the atoning blood of Jesus. And the message of the Sermon on the Mount says, again, we recite the creed in church and sing hymns expressive of devotion to Christ. We even exercise a variety of ministries in his name, but he is not impressed by our pious and orthodox words. He still asks for evidence of our sincerity in good works of obedience. In good works of obedience. I mean, as Jesus closes his sermon here, I think he's, he's calling us to two things, and I'll, I'll ask you to do the same things this morning. On one hand, he's saying, become a Christian, and that's really the ending here, right? Like all of these passages 
can be summarized. And Jesus is saying, you have a choice to make. You're my follower or you're not. These are your choices. And it's just better to be my follower because being my follower here, we saw other reasons, but being my follower gets you into heaven. So be my follower. But then I think Jesus is asking us to examine the validity, the truth of the faith that we profess. He is asking us to have an internal look, to take an internal look into our lives and ask the question, am I actually a Jesus follower? I know I say the right things. I know that I sometimes do the right things, but have I truly committed my life to him because I believe that he is God's son who, who came to take away my sin. One more time, you cannot earn a relationship with God. You cannot earn your way into heaven. There is, that is, if you heard that in this sermon, then you heard me wrong or I said it wrong, one of the two. But if you look at your life and you're never asking, am I obedient to Jesus? Is this what Jesus wants me to do? Is this what God's called me to? Am, am I living the right life or am I just living the American dream or trying to live the American dream? Am I, am I, I mean, if you never, if there's nothing in your life that says, I just want to do what Jesus wants me to do, maybe rethink some of those beliefs that you think you have because there's no wiggle room for Jesus. If you are truly his follower, then you will, then you will do the will of his Father in heaven. That's what he says. So if you're not a Christian, not just be one, think about it, become one. Man, it's, it's a life or death and eternal decision. But also, if you are a Christian, I hope the answer is yes, by the way, if you look inside and you think about all this, and I, I mean, you go, yeah, yeah. And I, I believe that for most of you here, but I think you need to take a look inside. Every single person needs to look inside and say, am I really, am I really, the person that I claim to be? Am I truly a Jesus follower? And we pray that we'll all do that. Lord Jesus, what a weird you know, thing to preach on, God. But I, I pray as I preach it, God, that I would practice it too. Uh, I'm pretty assured of my salvation. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have devoted my life to you, Lord, but... Um, you know, I want to make sure that I that that happens every day. Frankly, that the day doesn't go by where I don't ask what you want from me, and even if it's an inconvenience, um, even if it's not on the schedule, Lord, even if it's hard, even if it's a sacrifice, I want to do what you want me to do. And I pray, God, I pray for every person here, people watching online, Lord, that that first, if they're not Christians, that they would, you know, maybe in this sermon, God, as I prayed. Um, Maybe they would see that, that sometimes what we call Christianity in our country isn't actually uh, what you intended when, when you called followers to yourself, Lord. Because sometimes, you know, what we mean by Christian is, I don't know, is, is so cheap compared to what you've called us to, Lord. And maybe they would go, you know what, I've, I've avoided exploring Christianity because because I knew people who called themselves Christians, but they didn't look anything like that Jesus guy. And, and, maybe, and maybe, God, they would hear this sermon and, and, and just choose to, to really explore you and what it really means to be a Christian. And then for others, Lord, there, there's people, I, I believe, you've led me to this passage today, God, that, that are hearing this and, and they've called themselves Christians. Maybe they've done some good things, God, because 
of Christianity, but, but deep in their souls, they, they've never really committed themselves to you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak louder than I ever can today, God, and that you would draw those people to yourself in a real way. You know that I will never be the guy, Lord. I will never run around questioning in a personal way people's true commitment to you. I'm not going to be, I don't, I don't have a right uh, nor a desire to, to judge people, but I would ask that they, God, would look inside and, and judge for themselves that they are truly your followers. Not whether or not they sin here and there, but if they are truly committed to you. And if they're not, Lord, then I pray that this would be the day that they would commit themselves to you. And if they are, Lord, then I pray that, that they would, in this moment, Lord, they would do what I just prayed for, and they would say, you know what? I'm gonna do better at every day waking up and being obedient to Jesus. You have called us, God, you have called us to something that is incredible. But Lord, you've also called us to something that takes a real commitment. And I pray, God, that we all would be committed to you because the trade-off, Lord, is so incredible. I mean, what I have versus what I've given up in this life um, because of you is there is no comparison. You've given me everything good. Um, and Lord, I've made no real sacrifice at all. And so I pray, God, that, that for those of us who are Christians, we would recommit to just doing everything that we do for you and for your glory. I ask the, all these things for these different groups that I've just prayed for in, in your name, Lord. Amen.